This morning, we uh, continue our journey through this series we are calling Remembering Who We Are. We so easily lose sense of our true identity because there are so many voices in our ears every day trying to plead for our loyalty and trying to give us some sense of purpose and direction that we can easily forget that our true identity is found only in Jesus Christ. And so today, let me invite you to join me as we turn to a passage that once again calls us to remember something, this time from the book of Deuteronomy, the fifth chapter. Uh, We're jumping in sort of the middle of a conversation, but we're going to start in verse 12 and read through verse 15. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your town, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, last week, my wife was uh, searching for an old document on a a laptop computer that she hadn't used in quite a while, kind of left over from an earlier season of life. And as she was clicking on different files, trying to find what she was looking for, she stumbled across a file that happened to contain some old photographs and home videos that we had taken over the years. And my two daughters happened to be in the room as she was doing this, and when they realized it, they immediately jumped in and took the computer away from her and started clicking through and rummaging through all of these old images, many of them of themselves from years ago. And they sat there and they laughed at each other and they made comments about uh, what each looked like just a few years ago. And, And then one by one, they started telling the stories that they knew that were behind some of those photographs. It was one of those moments when I couldn't help but stop and reflect on the journey that my family has been on. I know, like you, I am busy every day just trying to get through whatever's in front of me, trying to meet whatever demand is pressing on me at the moment, and we don't have a lot of opportunities to to think about where we've come from, but, but in that moment, I was sort of brought to an awareness of everything that has happened, both the good and the bad, that has brought my family to where we are today. Sometimes it is good and necessary to simply stop and remember where we've come from. I think it's a healthy exercise even for us as a church. Let's take a little trip down memory lane for a moment. Some of you may not know this, but Bonsack Baptist Church was first established back in 1880, 140 years ago this year. Here you see a photograph of the original church building over on what is today Old Bonsack Road. Now back then this area was just a rural outpost and it was sparsely populated and that had a lot to do with the fact that the church struggled to exist for the first few decades of its life. 
But slowly as the area began to grow in the first part and into the middle part of the 20th century, so did the church. And so the original building was bricked over and it was expanded to include new Sunday school space. And and finally in the 1950s, almost after 70 years of existence, the church was finally able to call its first full-time pastor. And then as growth really accelerated through the 1960s, church leaders had a vision for expanding our reach. So the church relocated from that original location to where we are today near the intersection of 460 and, and 220. And the first building on this location was completed in 1971. And over the years as the church has grown, so as its campus, we've acquired new property and built new buildings to accommodate new ministries to bring us to where we are today. Now there's a lot that could be said about any one of these chapters that I have just mentioned, the people who were behind it, the decisions that were made, the good and the bad things that happened, but hopefully these few snapshots are enough to give us a little glimpse of where we've come from, to bring us to a greater awareness of all that God has done to bring us to this chapter of our lives. We sometimes need to remember where we've come from. The Bible is very clear about that. It comes through, obviously, in the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy emerges from a time in Israel's life when they were going through a a very important transition to kind of remind ourselves where they had come from. Their early ancestors had gone down into Egypt where at first they prospered, but then they were called into slavery. And they spent 400 years being oppressed by the Pharaoh until finally God sent Moses down into Egypt to lead them out of slavery into freedom. And then after that, they spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness on their way to what God called the promised land, a a land flowing with milk and honey, a land of abundance and prosperity to which he was taking them. And when the book of Deuteronomy opens, the people are standing on the threshold of that promised land. They can literally look across the Jordan River and see spread out before them the land that they are now going to go and occupy after all these years. But before they do, God, through Moses, decides to take them back through everything that's happened to this point. And so the book of Deuteronomy is a restatement, if you will, of everything that God has already said and already done. That's what brings us to where we are today. In this particular passage, Moses reminds them of one very important fact about their past. In verse 15, God says, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Remember that you were slaves, God says. In fact, he doesn't say it one time. Before the book of Deuteronomy closes, he will say it five times. It is something bearing that much repetition. And this morning, I want us to take a brief look at each one of those five occasions when God reminds them of this, take a quick look at the context in which each statement is given, and then look for the common themes that draw them together and still relate them to us in our experience all these thousands of years later. Why does it matter that we should remember that Israel was once slaves? 
Well, the first instance is the one we just read out of Deuteronomy 5, and in this portion of Deuteronomy, keep in mind, as I've already said, most of Deuteronomy is a restatement, a repetition of stuff they've already heard once before. And in this case, Moses is restating the Ten Commandments. Now, the Ten Commandments are first given back in the book of Exodus, the 20th chapter. And in this case, in Deuteronomy 5, we have an exact repetition of everything that was said before with one exception. There is one notable difference, and we just read it. You see, in Exodus 20, the reason that is given for keeping the Sabbath day is very simple. God created the world in six days, and on the seventh day he rested, and therefore so should you. But when we come to Deuteronomy 5, we are told still to keep the Sabbath, only the reason given for it is different. This is the only change. This time, the reason for keeping the Sabbath was because Israel had once been slaves in Egypt. Now, we may be wondering, what's the connection? Why does that matter? What does that have to do with keeping the Sabbath? Here's where I think the connection lies. Slaves are never guaranteed a day off. Slaves have to work at the whim of their master, and they are not free to set their own schedule and their own calendar. They don't have that power of self-determination. But now the shackles have been thrown off. Now, because of God's intervention on their behalf, the Israelites don't belong to Pharaoh anymore. They belong to God. And so every week when they stop to observe the Sabbath, they are actually celebrating the freedom that God has brought them. Therefore, God says, remember that you were once slaves, but you aren't anymore. Let's go to the second time God repeats this call. We have to jump ahead about 10 chapters to Deuteronomy chapter 15. In this case, which begins in verse 12, God gives instructions for what should happen whenever an Israelite was forced to sell himself or herself into slavery. Now, this was a tragic moment, but it was something that happened. If you ever found yourself in a place of utter desperation where you had no resources and nowhere to turn, the only option left to you might be to sell yourself as a slave to a fellow Israelite. It happened. But God wanted to make sure that it didn't become a permanent arrangement. Remember, they're not slaves anymore. And so he lays down a rule. He says that if an Israelite sells himself or herself to a fellow Israelite, they shall be their slave for six years. But then in the seventh year, he or she is to be set free. It was a stopgap measure put in place to prevent an endless cycle of economic oppression in which one person could endlessly take economic advantage of another. It preserved a measure of freedom. And just in case Israel was ever prone to forget this rule, God reminds them in verse 15 that they too had once been slaves. And if God had not acted on their behalf, they still would be. So, God says once again, remember, you were slaves. The third repetition comes in the next chapter, beginning in Deuteronomy 16, verse 9, where God gives instructions about one of the annual festivals that the people were to observe. There are actually five different festivals they were commanded to keep, but in this case, the instructions have to do with a feast 
called the Feast of Weeks. And it was supposed to happen 50 days after Passover. Now, for those who are keeping score at home, by the time we get to the New Testament, this festival will go by its Greek name. It's called Pentecost. And we read about it in Acts chapter 2. But for this purpose... The Feast of Weeks was intended primarily to be an agricultural festival. Even though it happened in the spring, there was already an early barley harvest that was happening. And in verse 12, right in the midst of the instructions for how they are to keep this feast, God concludes those instructions by saying, Remember that you were once slaves in Egypt. And I think in this case, those words are meant as a reminder of the abundance that they now enjoy. Whereas once, during slavery, they lived in austerity and poverty, now they live in an environment of prosperity and abundance. Therefore, God says, remember you were slaves. The fourth time occurs in Deuteronomy 24, verse 18. In this section, God is issuing a collection of rules on various matters. And in this instance, he says very simply and directly, Do not deprive the foreigner or the fatherless of justice or take the cloak of a widow as a pledge. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. I think the meaning here is obvious and unavoidable. Because God had acted to give the Israelites their freedom because he brought justice to them in a moment of oppression. They should act to ensure that same spirit of justice and freedom is available for the others around them who are weak and vulnerable and oppressed. They cannot receive the freedom that God has given them and then turn around and deny it to others. Therefore, God says, remember that you were slaves. The fifth and final time God calls for this act of remembrance comes just four verses later in Deuteronomy 24, verse 22. This time, God forbids the Israelites from going back over their fields a second time when they harvest them. They can make one pass, and whatever they don't get the first time, they are commanded to leave behind so that the poor of the land could come and glean from the fields or from the vines. They are to leave the unharvested crops for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. And they are to do this because they were once slaves in Egypt. Once again, I think the meaning is obvious and clear. In Egypt, they suffered at the hands of others. In Egypt, they lived in poverty. In Egypt, they lived in scarcity. Now they have been given abundance and prosperity and freedom, and they are to ensure that others enjoy those same benefits. Just as God showed kindness to them, they are to show kindness to others. Therefore, God says, remember that you were slaves in Egypt. So there we have it, five different times that God calls his people to remember they were slaves but that he has acted on their behalf to set them free. The context in each of those five instances is a little bit different, but there are some common themes that weave them all together. Themes of freedom versus captivity, themes of abundance versus scarcity, themes of justice 
versus oppression, all of which tells us something important about God's nature and God's purpose. And the important thing to realize is that nature and that purpose has not changed. So neither has the relevance of these words. We may be thousands of years removed from the historical circumstances under which these words were spoken, but they still speak a truth that is true for us now. Let's quickly observe three important things these words tell us. First, the remembrance of Israel's slavery tells us God is a God of freedom. Here's something very important to understand. The only reason we know anything about God is because God has chosen to reveal Himself. We haven't figured out who God is because we went off into the woods and meditated and came up with some insights on our own. We know who God is only because God has shown himself to us. He has revealed himself to us and he has revealed himself by intervening into our history and changing the outcome of that history. And the way the Bible tells the story, there are two primary ways God has acted in history and both of them are acts of deliverance. The first act of deliverance is the one we've been reading about this morning, the one that shapes the entire Old Testament narrative, the one that gives rise to the Old Covenant. God introduced himself to his people by setting them free from slavery. The second great act of deliverance is the one that gives rise to the New Covenant that we read about in the New Testament. Through Jesus Christ, God has acted to set us free from the sin of curse and death. Which means that because of Jesus Christ, we are no longer bound by the death and the decay that our sin is introduced into the world. If we come to Jesus in faith, we are set free to live abundantly and to live eternally. The two times God has intervened in our history, both times it was for the purpose of setting people free. God is always a God of freedom. What this means practically is that God does not want us to live in captivity to do anything that holds us hostage, to anything that limits our ability to live into the fullness of what God designed us for. God does not want us to live as captives to drug addiction. God does not want us to live as captives to debt or to pornography or to abuse or to fear or even to self-doubt. And if anybody here this morning is struggling under the weight of any of those or anything else that binds our spirits, we should know that God is a God of freedom, which means that right now God is already at work trying to orchestrate our liberation. God is a God of freedom, not just then, but now. And remembering that we were once slaves reminds us of what God is up to even now. Second, remembering we were slaves stands as a guard against our instincts to go back into captivity. 
One of the distinguishing marks about Israel's journey to the promised land is that God sometimes had to drag her there kicking and screaming. You see, their journey through the wilderness was long and it was difficult and it demanded more from them than sometimes they were willing to give. And there were moments when Israel's people decided they didn't want to keep up the march and on more than one occasion they actually complained that they'd rather go back into Egypt and back into captivity. In Exodus 14, for 11, uh, verse 11, for example, the people complained, saying, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Two chapters later, in Exodus 16, verses 2 and 3, we read this. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, because there we sat around pots of meat and, and ate of all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. They actually preferred slavery over freedom. Because sometimes freedom demanded too much from them and it was always easier to take the road of least resistance back into captivity. I believe that same temptation is still present to us today. Friends, Jesus has gone through a cross and an empty grave to buy our freedom. And so we must always stand guard against our innate temptation to go back into captivity. If God has brought your marriage intact through the experience of adultery, you dare not drift back towards the arms of another because God has already rescued you from that. If God has brought you through a time of poverty or scarcity, we dare not drift back into the wasteful habits that brought us to that place in the first place. If God has brought us through a season of spiritual dryness, we dare not go back to a lazy mind or an apathetic spirit lest we find ourselves wandering in the same wilderness again. If God has brought us through an addiction to some sin, we dare not open the door for it to re-enter our lives because God has already brought us through that. We should always remember what God has said to the people. You were slaves in Egypt. Notice the past tense there. That statement calls us to celebrate what God has done and to guard what he has given us and to never go back to Egypt again because the temptation to do so will always be there. We should remember that we were slaves, but we aren't anymore. And then finally, remembering we were slaves points us to the fact that God has called us to be a catalyst for that same freedom in other people's lives. In those five instances we looked at a moment ago, notice how often the remembrance of slavery is meant to safeguard not only their freedom, but the freedom of people around them. That they are called to actively seek out the well-being of others. God says, look, you were once slaves, and if I hadn't acted on your behalf, you still would be. And so you need to turn around and treat your neighbor in the same way. 
The same still applies to us. God calls us to use the freedom He has given us to bring about blessing and flourishing in other people's lives. Let me illustrate this through a way that may seem a little odd at first. At a, at a recent staff meeting a couple of weeks ago, I showed two short videos and then invited people to kind of comment on them. Both of the short videos had to do with chocolate and the making of chocolate. Now, one video showed the factory process by which Hershey's Kisses are made. The other showed how Godiva chocolates are made. Now, in the case of the Hershey's, the chocolate is made almost entirely by an automated system that's built for the sake of efficiency and speed and mass production. In the case of the Godiva chocolate, it is made by an expert chocolatier who handcrafts each piece with exquisite detail. Now, the final product in both cases is the same thing, chocolate. But one of them sells for $4 a pound, and the other one sells for over $50 a pound. What's the difference? The difference is the love and care and detail that the person making the product puts into it. It suddenly becomes of infinite more value because of that loving, handcrafted attention. Now, you may think I'm a little odd by comparing you to chocolates this morning, but stick with me. I got nothing against Hershey's Kisses. I've probably eaten more than my body weight of them in my life. But I think God calls us to treat the people around us like Godiva chocolate. That's the kind of elevating worth we ought to be facilitating in the lives of the people around us. Because the blessings that God has poured out on us should flow through us and into other people. We ought to be facilitating and catalyzing, flourishing and blessing in other people's lives. The words we speak, the choices we make, the empathy and compassion we show, the kindness we share. It should work to bring about human flourishing. The people around us should be elevated and not diminished because of our influence. We should be honoring and not shaming. We should be serving and not pushing away. We should be blessing and not cursing. Remembering that we were slaves, but that God has set us free, keeps us oriented towards the gospel call to serve our neighbor. Now, you and I may have never set foot inside Egypt, but we were once dead in our sins. But now, because of the liberating mercies of Jesus Christ, we are free. Writing to a group of early Christian believers, the Apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 30, words which were true of them now and are true of us today. He says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things. And the things that are not nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. And it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus 
who has become for us the wisdom of God that is our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. Remember what we were. We were nothing. And remember what we are, the holy people of God, all because of what He has done. And that is why it is important to remember where we came from so that we never lose sight of where we're going. Let's pray together. Gracious and holy God, we thank you and honor you and praise you for your might and your wisdom on our behalf. Though we have done nothing to deserve it, you have shown forth your great mercies to us in Jesus Christ. Help us to receive that gift and help us to share it with others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God is leading us to a promised land, not a patch of dirt in the Middle East anymore, but to his kingdom, which is eternal and never-ending. He brought us out of slavery into freedom. He brought us out of death into life. Have we received that gift? And is that gift flowing through us to others? If the answer to both of those questions isn't yes this morning, then right now we have a chance to do something about that. If you've never acknowledged Jesus as Lord and received him as your Savior, then as we sing here in just a moment, let me encourage you to come forward and we will pray together as you begin that journey of faith. If you need a church home and you're seeking to unite with other believers, then we would invite you forward as well. If there's anything else you want to make public, anything you need to share with a brother in Christ, I will be here. But the calling is to all of us to receive his freedom and to share it with the world around us. I pray that will happen as we worship him together. Let's stand and sing. <laughs>